Good morning, Lifesong Church. My name is Matt Zimmerman, and I serve as the campus pastor for the Sturbridge campus. And we're just excited you're here with us today. And isn't it, isn't it amazing that, you know, you, you kind of are in weekends like this, and maybe you've heard it one time, maybe you've heard it a hundred times already, but happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day weekend, happy birthday, America, whatever it is you're celebrating. And, you know, I was kind of just processing this weekend, and I just, I was struck by this. How amazing is it that with all the conversations going on in our world today, all the conversations going on in our country today, we still hold this idea up out there that everyone is created equal. And we, we are so blessed to live in a country where we can argue about it, we can disagree about it, and at the end of the day, everybody just comes back to this whole idea that everyone is created equal. And I just, I love that and I I'm, I'm love celebrating it. But as I was sitting on my back porch yesterday, kind of smoking some ribs, it occurred to me, how amazing is it? And how grateful are you and how grateful am I that I am a part of a church family? that leans into to whatever the situation is in our world, whether it be the coronavirus or racial injustice or stuff going on in our region, we lean in. And, and I, just, I just am so thankful that I'm part of a church community like that, and I'm so thankful for Pastor David's leadership because you need to know that that oozes out of his DNA. And I just, Pastor David, thank you for your leadership, for your inspiration, and God, for your investment in all of us, Pastor David. So thank you. We are praying for you and your family. And, and God, we just, we just thank you for the leader you've given us. And, and here's, here's the neat thing. It's not like it's like a one-time deal. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about stuff like that. And then, and then two weeks ago on Father's Day, Pastor Dale Klein, our, our Worcester campus pastor, kind of just, or, or actually, excuse me, two weeks ago uh, was Paul DeChico, our Sutton campus pastor. And he, he talked to us a lot about, you know, it, living on purpose, to live by design, not on accident, and to, and to be, be sure that the things that are coming into our life, we're planning on, we're, we're developing a plan, we're, we're living with purpose. And then a week ago, Pastor Dale, our, our Worcester campus pastor, talked to us about, you know, you know, making sure that we're living life in the light of eternity, that, we are, that we're making sure we're building on the right thing. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of all these conversations, I started to ask, God, what is it? What would you have Matt Zimmerman bring to, bring to this? And as I started thinking about that, started processing all that, I started to write down a list of questions. And I won't read all the questions that started to bubble up, but I'll read a bunch of them to you because there's a theme that starts to come out of this. I started asking questions like this. What do we do when we realize that I haven't been purposeful or that I have been purposeful, but the purpose I built on is wrong or that it just simply fails? What do we do when we've done the best that we can and things still go sideways? Or, or what about this? What about this one? I, I, just, I was just thrust into a situation that I didn't create, have little or no control over, and, and I get to deal with it. And when I started to read through all these and about a page more of them, I, I came to this just overarching theme, if you will. What do I do if me or somebody else kind of walks into a room, drops a grenade in the entire plan, and I'm going to to deal with it, whether it was me or somebody else, and I realize that I am no longer in control. This applies to every single person, whether, you, whether you're a leader and you're, and you're in the world, a leader in the marketplace, or maybe you're just trying to lead yourself. What do we do? So let's pray. I just, I just feel like there's a, there's a thing that God wants to do and some questions, some answers he wants to give to those questions. Let's pray. Almighty God, we sit in a moment where we all have lots of questions. 
where we can be frustrated, we can be like, oh God, what do I do? And God, I ask that you would use today, that you would use this moment to fish out some examples, to fish out some scriptures, to fish out some truth, so that we can begin to walk in and know that everything, while it seems out of control, we can take command of. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and everything you call us to be. So um, last week, Pastor Dale talked a lot about this guy named Samson. Samson was human like no other, but in the end, he kind of got his head around some stuff and decided he was gonna make some great decisions, and in the end of Samson's life, he wound up walking out kind of a hero. He, 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 his life had massive impact. And I won't reteach all that message, but as I was fishing along and kind of thinking about that and kind of letting it ruminate, there's another guy that comes to mind, a guy named Jonah. See, Jonah's a guy, you may be a little bit familiar with some of his story, but Jonah's a guy, God comes to him and he says, Jonah, I need you to go to a city called Nineveh. That city is jacked up. That city has some issues. That city is living in such a way that if they don't turn this thing around, I'm gonna come down and fix it. I'm gonna destroy the whole thing. So, so Jonah gets all this message from God, gets his marching orders, kind of goes out, and he decides that, nope, I'm not gonna do it. Jonah decides that instead of following the plan God gives him, he's gonna jump up, he's, he's gonna run, and he, so he goes and gets on a boat. And Jonah gets on a boat, he runs the opposite direction of Nineveh, and as in the midst of while he's on the boat, a storm comes, somehow the guys on the boat figure out this is Jonah's fault. They pick Jonah up, throw him overboard, and you might, and you might know the story. It's at this point while Jonah's you know, sinking through the water, a fish comes up, swallows him, and he lives for three days inside the belly of a fish. Jonah kind of is just like, oh, okay, God, I get it. The fish goes and spits him out on the shores of Nineveh. Jonah goes, spends a few days walking through Nineveh, warning them, hey, if you don't stop this, God's going to come destroy you. And then Jonah, as he, after he delivers his message, goes up, sits on a hill overlooking Nineveh, grabs some popcorn and gets ready to watch the Holy Fireworks show. Because he's like, I'm gonna get to see some cool stuff. Except that's not what happens. Because what happens is Nineveh hears him. The city of Nineveh kind of gets this figured out. In fact, the ruler of Nineveh tells everybody, we're not gonna eat it, we're gonna fast, we're gonna pray, we're gonna repent, and God has mercy. And Jonah, as he's watching this thing, goes, what the junk, God? You sent me out here, I told you this was gonna happen, I told you I was gonna come and, and I'm gonna say, and God, you're so merciful, you did it anyway. I, I knew, and now I look like an idiot. And so Jonah spends, you know, three, we get three chapters of Jonah kind of trying to figure stuff out, and then we get to the fourth chapter after God has had mercy and Jonah starts railing on God. God says, okay, Jonah, you don't get it. You don't get my heart, all right. I'm gonna cause a, a plant to grow. So a plant grows up over Jonah, so it gives him some shade because he's burning up, he's hot. And Jonah's like, oh man, good, got some shade. And then God sends a worm to eat the plant so he can kind of get Jonah's attention. The, the, the worm eats the plant, Jonah starts railing against God again. Great God, now I'm hot. And I wanna pick up that line because there's an interesting dialogue that happens at the end of the story we know about Jonah that you need to know. It says, the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. This is Jonah chapter four, by the way. And he says, death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, said Jonah. You were even angry enough to die. I have a right to be angry about this. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry enough about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to, mention all the, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great story? And, and you wanna turn the page. 
Well, what happens next? Nothing. That's the end of Jonah's story. You see, while, while Samson dies a hero, Jonah dies in obscurity. Samson figured some things out, and Jonah missed it entirely. So here's, here's the thing. God calls to both of these guys. He says, listen, there's some problems here, and one of them knocks it out of the park. One of them ends his life a champion. The other ends his life a chump. So here's, here's what we have to deal with. Both of these guys' lives, some of them for their own decisions, some of them are the result of other people's decisions, their circumstances got totally out of control. And here's, here's the big idea that I think is revealed in both of these guys. When, the, when, when we don't have control of our circumstances, when circumstances seem out of control, we have to take command of our response. Let me say that again. When we can't control the circumstances, we must take command of our response. It's, it's funny. When you talk about you know, you know, living your life and ending your life as a champion versus as a chump, these two guys are pretty good images of that, but there's, and there's a couple other images that come to mind. Um, maybe, maybe one really good image that comes to mind is out of Super Bowl 42. Any, anybody remember this image? Anybody remember this? This is David Tyree, and what you may be known as you know, the helmet catch. To set the stage for you, the Patriots have had a perfect season. They have won every single game. They've had not a single thing go wrong, and they've led the entire game until this moment. This moment is at the end of the fourth quarter. It's third down. David Tyree is, te is, is covered by not one, not two, but three New England Patriots, and he catches the ball by pinning it on the top of his helmet. All of a sudden, the Patriot dynasty goes, oh, wait a minute, and everything stops. That's image number one. We'll talk about why this is important in just a second, but that's the first image I wanna show you. Second image when I show you, if this is from Super Bowl 42, check out the image from Super Bowl 51. Julian Edelman, this one, if you're a New England fan, you like a little bit better. Because this image is the drive that, in, that, that sets up the win for the Super Bowl. If you remember the one, you know the Super Bowl, we're down 28 to three, we drive back, or we drive down the field the end of the fourth quarter to send it into overtime, and we go on to win the Super Bowl. Awesome, great. This catch, this catch is the one that if you look at this, you're like, oh, that's a pretty good catch. No, no, this catch is stupid. This catch is dumb. And here's why. What it isn't shown here is as the ball goes through the air, it bounces off the hands of an Atlanta Falcon defender. And like, oh, oh man, it was almost intercepted. Then it bounces off a shoe of a New England Patriot, or excuse me, of an Atlanta Falcon fan. And then look, it's two inches from the ground. The Atlanta Falcons were two inches from a Super Bowl win. And you're like, oh, that's pretty awesome. Why are you telling us this? Because I don't want you to think about these pictures. I want you to think about what happens immediately afterward. Both of these teams have built themselves and have a plan, a purpose. They have planned for everything. They have stepped into this thing looking like, man, I know what I'm supposed to be going for. I'm supposed to be going for the Vince Lombardi Trophy. That is it. And out of circumstances completely ridiculous, completely out of control, they're left with the aftermath of this. And what I want to point you to is not what happens here, but what it sets up. Because if you're a New England fan, you know that it took us a couple years, but a couple years later, we fed off that image 
to get us back to win three more Super Bowls. It set up the continuation of the Patriots dynasty. But if you know your Atlanta Falcons story, you know that that moment perpetuated the continuation of, shall we just be fair and say, upscale mediocrity? Is it okay? Can we say that? I think so. I think it's all right. But here's the thing. We all have moments like this. And it, and it may be that your moment is, is Super Bowl in nature and Super Bowl in scope, or it may be a little smaller than that. Think about what's going on in our world right now. We have Super Bowl-esque moments. The coronavirus, that the entire world is watching. Racial injustice issues, the entire world is watching. But a lot of us, our game-changing moments are on a much smaller scale than that. The words that you use to people. The moments where you're like, and you just want to like throw something across the room. The way you speak to each other at home, at your job, when circumstances are out of control. And I just, I just want to drop this nugget at you. When your circumstances are out of control, when you feel like you have no control, you must take command of your response. You have to. And you're like, well, okay, thanks a lot, Pastor Matt. Can I just tell you that the stories that we just read, the pictures of the football, every human being walks through them. You're not alone in it. If you're feeling like, man, I just made a total mess of this whole thing, great. And uh, because you're not alone. And the question is, what do you do now? And I think there are three keys, three critical components to taking command of our response. And um, I'm gonna give them to you quickly because there are three guys that we need to look at. And the very first one is a guy named David. You might know David, you may have heard his story. If you've heard of David and, and you know Goliath, the little boy who goes out and slays a giant with three stones and then cuts his head off with a sword. Yep, that David. If you've heard about David that goes on to be king of Israel and, and there are people that literally are, thousands of people around the country are writing songs about him, talking about how amazing he is. Yes, that David. If you go into the, to the New Testament and you hear you know, and you read about David was a man after I am my own heart, yes, that David. But David had a moment. You see, one day when his armies are off to war, David walks out on the balcony and he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. And no, you can't bathe without, without, with clothes on, okay? So you know what he's doing, right? He looks down and he sees a woman bathing and he goes, hmm, who's that? And that's really what he says, who is that? And some of his advisors come to him and say, David, that's, or King David, that's, 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 that's the wife of one of your generals. That's the wife of, of a soldier, a wife, who's loyally, a wife of a, a man who's loyally out fighting for you and your kingdom. And he goes, I want that. And so they bring Bathsheba to him. They spend the night together. And you know, lo and behold, Bathsheba winds up pregnant. So what does David do? David calls the general back, says, hey, tell me about what's going on on the front lines. And oh, by the way, can you go spend some time with your wife? That doesn't go the way he wants it to go. It doesn't, it doesn't end the way he wants it to end. So, so she, he, he refuses. The general says, I can't do that. I won't do that. Not when we have soldiers out fighting. I will not go spend time with my wife while we, so David says, okay, sends him back and commands that he be killed. So if you're keeping score, we got lust, we got adultery, we got murder, bad day. And he tries to cover it up. All things are going inside. And he says, okay. Um, and he goes, embarks on this plan to cover everything up. And suddenly God sends him a man. He sends him a man named Nathan. And Nathan comes in and he says, hey, King David, listen, let me tell you a story. And he outlines a scenario that absolutely mirrors what David has done. And he says, King, your majesty, what would you do to someone if they did that? And King David said, bring that man to me right now. 
because I'm gonna deal with that. And Nathan looks at him and says, King David, you are that man. What's he do? So Nathan reads him the riot act, tells him, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. And in 2 Samuel, verses 12 and 13, we hear David's response. David confesses to Nathan and says, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned, in other places it says, Lord, you and you alone against have I sinned. So what do we do? What is God's response when we, when we own our part? Because that's the first critical component to this whole thing, is you have to own your part. The, three critic, the, the first of the three critical components to taking command of our response is you have to own your part. And when David does that, God says, great, I can work with that. And Nathan says, you won't die because of this. Now, so there's some things that happen. Some things go crazy, things go off the wheels. But how does, how does that apply to you? When we see what David does, how does that apply to us? Well, number one, you do have to own your part, but you can't own somebody else's. The mess you make in your own life, because sometimes we do need to take a look and go, you know what, some of this circumstance is my fault. I do need to own it. But some of it's not. I mean, think of the Patriots for a second. Tom Brady can't take the blame for that pass being caught. He can't. He wasn't even on the field, but he can take responsibility for the three first downs, the, the three opportunities to get a first down that end the game. You gotta take ownership of your part, but you can't own somebody else's. But you do have to. But you also, not in those type of situations, but you also have to understand that when things like that happen, they create an environment, right? I mean, imagine walking in to the Patriots training camp the next season, and you're a rookie. Or maybe you've been an off-season pickup, you know, one of, the, one of the new defense guys that have come in. And you're like, I wasn't there. I had nothing to do with it. And I'm, now I'm stuck with it. Anybody ever had a situation like that? You're like, I had no, no, situ- no control in it and, and now I'm stuck. Yes, but you can own your part. You still have a part to play. When things are kind of gone crazy, when, when, when the world is sideways, as a difference, you know, I, guess what? I, I didn't make the coronavirus. I don't know how, I don't know, but I'm still stuck dealing with it. You are too. So, so we have to own our part and recognize it. So number one is own your part. Second thing, you know, after we're kind of looking at all these things going on, it's like, oh, I gotta own my part. This has created problems. What do I do? Is you have to understand that once you own your part, you have to seek eternal perspective. You, ha- you have to, to kind of get a, a bigger view of who, you, of who you are and what you're playing a part of. The guy that mirrors this super, super well is a guy named Job. Quick backstory on Job. Job is the most wealthy, blessed individual on the planet in his time. He has more money than anybody else does. He has more, uh, more resources, more livestock, and he has a huge family. And the Bible also says he's living righteously. He's doing everything right. And all of a sudden, in the span of 48 hours, all of his children die, all of his livestock dies, he loses everything, and his wife looks at him and says, why don't you curse God and die? Bad day. Bad day. That's the first two chapters of the book of Job. And you're like, Pastor Matt, is this, are we gonna go somewhere? Are we gonna get joyful in a second? Yeah, we will. <laughs> but he loses everything. And for 40 chapters, he and his friends are trying to sort all this thing out. For three months, we've been in this dialogue trying to sort all this stuff out. What is happening? What kind of mass did I have to wear? Whose responsibility is all of that? And God shows up after, you know, 40 chapters, 40 chapters of conversation. And he says, you know what? Well, 
Let's listen to what the word of God actually says real quick. But it, he says this. He says, then the Lord, and this is Job chapter 38, starting in verse one. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. And for like two chapters, it's like, where were you when I did this, Job? Where were you when I did this? And it's easy to look at this as kind of a dressing down. You know, he tells him, you know, if I'm listening, I put on, you know, and I listen to the voice of my father, stand up and answer me like a man. That's not what's happening here. God is reorienting Job's perspective. He's saying, Job, remember, you're just a man. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. So much higher am I than you. That's David's speak, by the way. If you wanna go, where did that come from, Pastor Matt? Go read Psalms. It's over and over, and it will help you get a rich perspective. This idea of like a man, it's not a correction. It's a reminder. We have to seek broader perspective because we don't see it all. We are part of such a bigger plan, a bigger piece that's going on here. If we don't remember that, we miss that there's a story God's writing. David had a part in the story. Job had a part in the story. And it's not a bad thing to realize that sometimes the part of the story involves some dips in it. You see, because God knows, God knows that every Super Bowl loss is actually the beginning of an off-season of preparation. The end of a Super Bowl, the end of a Super Bowl starts the preparation for the next season. Brady walked off and was immediately talking about, we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do. And if you, and, and if you get caught in the big loss, you could miss the road to the big victory. Third thing we have to do, third thing we have to do is we have to embrace God's forgiveness. Embrace God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is perhaps in this moment most perfectly pictured through a guy named Peter. Peter followed Jesus for three years, walked around, saw something. Peter's the guy that jumped, that when he saw Jesus walking across the water, he stepped out of the boat and walked toward him. Peter's the guy that when Jesus says, who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ. Where else would we go? Peter's the guy whose mother-in-law is sick and dying and Jesus shows up and heals her. Peter's the guy that when, when, every, when Jesus starts talking about, I'm going to die, I'm not the G Peter says, I'll go with you even to the death. Peter's the guy that when Jesus gets arrested, draws a sword and cuts off the dude's ear who's about to arrest Jesus. He's that guy. But in, the biggest, when, in Jesus' biggest moment of need, when he's alone, standing in front of the trial of the elders that would, that would eventually take him to Pilate to be crucified. In Jesus' biggest point of need, Peter bails. Peter runs. He goes back to fishing. He runs away. But there's this very, very interesting moment in chapter 21. You see, Peter's failure was denying that he even knew Jesus three times. And if you gotta know that, that Peter's out fishing and he's trying to figure all this out and he's like, man, I messed up. And then even worse, Jesus told me that I was going to do that. The night before all this happened, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And I did it. And, and, and Peter's running around and he looks up and he's fishing and he sees a man standing on the shore. And he says, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. And he jumps out of the boat 
swims all the way to the shore, pulls himself out, comes, and Jesus says, hey, you hungry? Peter sits down, and Jesus begins to serve him, feed him. He looks and says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. John 21 and 16, it goes on to say, Jesus told him, and then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, just kind of sorting this whole thing through, goes, Yes, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. See, in the middle of the out of control moments where Jesus has just died, the God, the, you know, Paul, Peter has, has bailed, completely failed. Jesus has died. Everything is in chaos. Everything. Peter goes back to what he knows. And Jesus steps toward him. And he says, do you love me? The question was never about whether Jesus had everything in control. The question was never about whether, 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 Peter, whether Jesus loved Peter. The question was about, Peter, do you love Jesus and do you see it? Because in our chaos, God looks at us and says, don't you remember? I work everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to him. The question isn't God's love, it's ours. And it's in the big things and the little things. It's the, it's the accepting forgiveness for ourselves. It's in the extending forgiveness to other people. It's acknowledging our humanity and the humanity of others and forgiving ourselves and allowing it other pe the forgiveness of God to flow through us. And you wanna know the two biggest problems that we face? There's two lies that we face. The first one is we can go, man, I'm too far gone. This mess is too big. It is impossible. And you know the cool thing is the disciples came to Jesus and asked him the exact same thing after watching a guy fail. And Jesus looked at me and said, you know what, you're right. With man, that's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It is not about God's steadiness. It's about how much we love God. Second lie, second lie that we can buy is that it's too late. I'm trapped. God would never forgive. And God's response to this is found in the book of Lamentations. Chapter three, verses 22 and 23, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So it's interesting where this conversation with Peter happens. This conversation happens on the banks of the Sea of Galilee next to Peter's boat. When Jesus first met Peter, when Peter first met Jesus, it was on the Sea of Galilee next to a boat, his boats. And so I don't know where you are from your beginning of, maybe this is the first time Jesus is approaching your boat. Maybe you've been next to your boats for a long time trying to figure this stuff out and Jesus is coming back to you and saying, do you love me? So here's where we wanna land today. I actually wanna ask you the same thing that Peter, or that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love Jesus? Is Jesus moving in you right now? Is he saying, you need to come follow me? 
Maybe this is your first moment. If this is your, maybe this is the moment where Jesus is standing next to your boat for the first time, or maybe your car, or maybe you're sitting in your living room and he's walked into your space and says, follow me. If that is you, I wanna pray for you. And just, in fact, here, if that's you, Throw a high five up in the chat. You know, throw a, hey, that is me. That's a, hey, I, he is, write, write this. I'm in the boat. I'm in the boat. And we've got a team who would love to reach out and help you out with that. But maybe you're sitting there and you've been in the boat and you're like, Jesus, and he's saying, do you love me? My love never moved. My love never moved. I just wanna pray for both of, both of those groups. And then we're gonna sing a little bit. And here's what, I, and when we sing, when we dive, when we, when we say, hey, God, here you go, Hear him asking you, do you love me? Do you love me? And then shout it back, absolutely, Jesus. You know all things. You know that I love you. So if Jesus is standing next to your boat and you need to say yes for the first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again for me. Jesus, live in me. Live through me. I wanna make your ways my ways. I wanna make your thoughts my thoughts. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Jesus, you know all things. Yes, Lord, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Hey, let's sing a little bit, shall we? Let's worship.